this morning, there's something about looking into the face of Jesus, into your eyes. God, sometimes we find it very hard to trust you. Sometimes we find it very challenging to trust your word, that you'll be faithful to it. But God, our life experience has told us again and again and again, you are a trustworthy God. That is who you are. That is your character, to be faithful. And so God, I pray for us, the church family here this morning, that we truly will know what it is to trust you with every part of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for sharing part of your long holiday weekend. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all. So much to be thankful for, obviously. Family, uh, friends, a, a savior, uh, our country, uh, our abundance, our jobs, um, a roof over our head, food on our table, a church to call home, music that inspires us, uh, the word of God that uh, teaches us about a God who has compassion for the world, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so much to be grateful for. It really is a, a happy Thanksgiving. Well, if this is your first time with us, or maybe it's the first time in a long time, I want to let you know we're actually currently in a series that we have entitled At Our Core. We're, we're looking at who we are as a church and, and, and the things that we do. And so far, we looked at our mission, which is connecting people to Jesus and to one another. I mean, we try so hard to keep the main thing the main thing, and that main thing is connecting people to Jesus. And what is so fascinating about us as a church, that has never changed in the nearly 83 years that we have been a church. Since those days when the doors first opened in 1930s, it's always been about connecting people to Jesus. And then we went from our mission, and we looked at our values. Our, our church has six, actually, uh, core values, which are different than our core beliefs, and they're not just a, a list of values that we stick somewhere on the wall. We really believe that these values will help us uh, live out the mission, which is connecting people to Jesus. And so those six um, values that we have are it's relationship and spiritual growth and service and generosity and outreach and excellence. And, and we value relationships. We really do. Uh, we're going to uh, do our very best to encourage relationships that are real and authentic and rich in love towards one another. We really value spiritual growth. I mean, we want to follow Jesus on this transforming adventure of faith. And last week we looked at service. Like, we don't want to just be consumers. We, we really want to be contributors. And this week we're going to look at the value of generosity uh, we value generosity. We want to be able to respond extravagantly to the needs that are all around us. And then next week, we'll look at our value of outreach. Uh, we just really want to bring the good news to those who are far from Jesus. And then we'll wrap up our series with the value of excellence. We strive to give God our very best in everything that we do. And as I said, these, these values help us live out what it means to connect people 
to Jesus. So generosity, that's what we're going to look at. We want to be able to respond extravagantly. We were very intentional, by the way, when we were working out on our values, which we worked over months and months as staff and leadership. We were very intentional in putting that word extravagantly there. We, we didn't just want to respond, but we want to be able to respond extravagantly. And what is so interesting about this as a church, this is not a perceived value that we hope one day we'll have. I really believe this is a value that we have uh, as a church. When I think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of volunteer hours that people are, that give here, I mean, they're generous. We have a lot of people who are just so generous, you know, with their, with their time. I, I think of those who spend uh, weeks and, and midweeks with, with our children's program. You know, hundreds of hours investing in a new generation. I think of those people who are investing in our, in our young people, the teenagers of our church, junior high and high school. Those who invest in college and career. Those who are investing in our seniors' ministry. Those who, you know, greet people out in the parking lot and park cars and greeters and ushers and tech people behind the scenes and people who help on the stage lead us musically. You know, technology, those who help set up and clean up. I mean, thousands of hours are given every year. You're generous uh, with your time, for sure. And then I started looking over this past year, uh, financially, just how generous you are as a church. Uh, looking at, at the budget again and just thinking, my goodness, people give like over $1.2 million so, so Temple can have impact and influence in, in our city. And, um, and then I started thinking about other things, uh, the fact that we're able to do like about $160,000 towards missions. And, you know, last week, uh, we didn't even let you know about it ahead of time. We just said our next offering, or last week, we said, hey, we're going to take an offering for Bahamas. And you very graciously gave thousands of dollars towards that. A couple weeks before that, we had Teen Challenge in here. And you said, I want to really bless them. You know, here's a work that's trying to help guys uh, overcome addictions, and, and you, we took up an offering, and it was $4,000 that came in. We had our missionaries, the car wars here, just a little while ago, sharing their need of building a dormitory to expand uh, that college in Indonesia, because the dormitory they have now is so dangerous for students to live in, and, and Temple's been so gracious, you, you, you gave over $30,000 above and beyond that. And, and then we have these clothing drives. You're generous, uh, giving out away 335 backpacks full of school supplies, you know, 400 meals, and do it in the spring, and do it in the fall, and that's, you know, that's thousands and thousands of dollars. I think of, you know, soon we're going to be in this mode of hampers for Christmas. Last year, I think we did 176 families where we were able to help and assist, and, and, and they're very generous, extravagant. When I think of our hampers. In fact, we even have families here today because of hampers. Uh, I remember listening to one guy's story just saying, I, when, that, when one was brought to my house, I thought, why us? Like, we don't even know you. You don't know us. And then just because of that, they started attending and then came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That's why I say our values help us reach the mission, which is connecting people to Jesus. I, I think of those who, uh, so many of you who, who sponsor children during day camp. You said, you know what, I'm going to help someone go to day camp. And we looked back and we, like 130 kids came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I think of when we take up benevolent offerings uh, once a month to help those who you know, are going through tough times in our church and in our city. And, and you've given thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars towards the benevolent need. And then Daryl's just here talking about shoeboxes. 
You know, last year we gave hundreds and hundreds of those shoe boxes, and we're going to do it again this year, hundreds of shoe boxes that will be given out. Plus, I know you do things outside the church. Some of you sponsor Compassion Children and World Vision Children, and, and you're helping out in the community. So when I say we are a generous church, I really believe that is true. We're a generous church. That's one of the trademarks of who we are. It is not just a perceived value. It really is a value of ours. And, and I praise God that God's brought us some generous people here that call Temple Baptist Church their home. God has really taught us to be generous. And, and I do want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing our, our church to have, to make a difference right here in our own little community, in our city, in our province, our country, and literally around the world. Now some of you already know how it is that, how true God is to his word when he says, I will provide all of your needs. Now for so many of us, he has given us even more than what we uh, need, and, and you have responded generously. And for some of you, you're, you're still wrestling. I get it. You're still wrestling uh, through being generous with uh, you know, your time, uh, your talents, uh, your treasures. I mean, it's a big deal to trust God when things are really, really tight. I mean, how can I be generous when I'm having a hard time just meeting my own daily needs? Like, I get that. I, I get the dilemma that you're facing. Uh, it's new territory for some of you. I mean, sometimes you hear these amazing stories of God's provision, and you think, well, it's almost too good to be true, some of these stories. And maybe you might say, well, it may be true for them, or it may be true for others, but my situation is different. You know, I, I live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, there's nothing that I can really do to be generous. By the way, just to put everybody at ease, uh, this message has nothing to do with some grand vision that we're going to, hey, we're going to build a multi-million dollar building, and so we're going to get all, all you hyped up about giving. No, no, no. We're not going to lock the doors and make sure everybody gives before they leave. That's not who we are. That's not what we're doing. So relax. But for many of us, we count it a privilege, actually, to give what God is doing, to be a part of it. I've said this before, and, and, and I know some people don't like it when I say this, because I, 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 I say, God doesn't need, by the way, our money, because he's very self-sufficient. But what I love about it, he invites us to be a part of what he's doing. And we get to be generous in that. And one of the things that I've learned is a generous heart will help each of us overcome the tendency to be sometimes selfish. Generosity oftentimes breaks the hold that greed can have in people's lives. So giving is for our benefit, uh, not, not God's. And this morning, we are, we're gonna read a portion of scripture that quite honestly, I think it's gonna, it's gonna blow your mind when you think of a lifestyle of generosity. I mean, we, we, we're gonna read this, and you're gonna be like, whoa, I, I, I don't think I've ever noticed that before. In fact, I don't know of a story in all the Bible that is more extravagant when it comes to trusting God and being generous than this story. I read this story over and over again this week, and as I was reading through it, I remember saying to myself, I don't think I could do that. Like, I don't know if I could live out what this story uh, talks about. And so, um, God is teaching me, by the way. He's teaching me how to have greater uh, generosity. 
I mean, I'd love to get to the point where my life is characterized by extravagant uh, generosity. And so this story really has my head spinning. Um, the story is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. You don't need to look there yet because I, I want to kind of give you a picture of what's happening uh, before we look at that passage of Scripture this morning. First of all, the, there's a great national crisis in the land. Famine has struck. There has been no rain in the land. In fact, it says it was a severe famine. A national panic has, has set in. The government can't do anything about it. They don't know what to do. And when I read this story, I, my mind went back to the, the mid-80s when, for some of you remember, the Ethiopian uh, famine that took place. And it kind of just captured uh, the world uh, over uh, the worst famine in over 100 years for that country. 1.2 million people died because of the famine. 200,000 children were left as orphans. 2.5 million people were, were displaced. 400,000 became refugees. It was, it was unbelievable. And, and the government didn't know what to do. And some people rose up and they had this live aid where they said about 40% of the world watched this concert. 1.4 billion people watch, and around 130 million was raised to, to help. Well, these people didn't have any help. It was a national crisis. And the crises which, which nations will struggle through will often visit the people of God who dwell in them. As a principle, I don't know if, if God, uh, God doesn't always exempt his people from their share of national catastrophes and sorrows. But although he sometimes permits his people to suffer through in the midst of sometimes crises in a country, he never forgets us, he never forsakes us. The Bible says many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them all. So, and, and at the center of the problem is this prophet, Elijah. I mean, he's the one who went to King Ahab to report on, on behalf of God that a famine was going to hit the land. And this famine lasts for years. Days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. And Elijah is experiencing as well this national distress as far as you know, finding food and provision. So, so you understand, these are not good days that we're about ready to read. Uh, you can only imagine people are at each other's throats, people fighting over that last loaf of bread that happens to be on the store shelf. And then you know what happens, right? Prices skyrocket and people are price gouging each other because of supply and demand. There's so little to go around, so you know that the, le the least of those who are resourced have nothing. And then we come to 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We always look at the Bible every week. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. The Bible's fairly new. It's toward the beginning part of your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to pick up the story actually in verse 1. Are you there? Yeah? No? Don't care? Just wrap it up, Donald? What? Okay, 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide in uh, Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and, and um, bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and then die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me. <laughs> really? from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son for this is what the lord the god of israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the lord gives rain on the land she went away and did as elijah had told her so there was food every day for elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the lord spoken by elijah So here's the drama. <laughs> it's a single parent with a child. Many of you know the struggle of being a single parent and all that comes with that. And in this particular story, we have a single mom. And she's facing, as you can imagine, lots of challenges. But the most pressing challenge that she's facing right now is that there is famine and there is no food anywhere for her and her son. Food is expensive and, and it's scarce. And, and this woman has become desperate. All she has is a little bit of oil in a jar and a little tiny bit of flour in a jug. Enough to make one last meal for her and her son. So the plan is, I'm going to make a meal for us. We'll eat it. We'll lay down and die. Because she has no options the reality of the story is very grim when you read this. But not too far away is the prophet of Elijah. And he too has been affected by the famine. Where he was staying by this brook, fresh water that he could drink from, it's, it's dried up. And so God has some plans for Elijah. And he, he weaves this road map that brings him to the village of Zarephath. To have an encounter with a widow and her son. And God says, when you go there, because when you read the rest of the chapter, you'll learn more. But when you go there, I want you to move into the house as well. Now, just, just imagine <laughs> some man knocking on the door and say, hey, I'm moving in. And, I mean, this woman doesn't know, know this guy. He says, I'm going to move in. But besides moving in, I want you to make me a meal as well. 
I know you just have enough for you and your son, but what I'm going to ask you is you make a meal for me first. Now you can imagine the situation that puts that, that mom in. Like, you want me to feed you, a stranger, somebody I don't know. I have a son who I have raised and I love. This is my heart, this is my life, and you want me to sacrifice that to give to some food to some stranger? Now, Elijah does go on to say, if you'll feed me first, God does say that he'll resupply your jug of oil and your jar of flour. Are you going to buy that? Some stranger comes up and says this to you. Doesn't know him from Adam. He says, let me move in. Let me have the last bit of food and everything will be okay. This is not your average request. What guarantee does this woman have that he's a man of God and, and that God will be there to resupply what she has left for her and her son? Imagine trying to sort this all out because you know in this particular situation she is mentally exhausted. Probably very hard even to make decisions. Physically exhausted. Perhaps even spiritually exhausted wondering why God has even allowed her to be in this situation. She's at her wit's end. And here's the one thing that I've, I've discovered. Every time Every time you and I are moved to be generous, we stand in that woman's shoes. We have a friend in need. We have a church, maybe that's in need. We, we see poor among us who, who are in need. And we're moved to be generous, but then there's this other part of our brain that says, what if I respond to these needs, but God doesn't have my back on this? What if no one from heaven even notices and, and doesn't honor my actions? What if there's no resupply that comes? What if I'm hung out to dry? What if I don't hear from heaven? What if I'm left out on my own? And how you wrestle with this on how and when God will supply will affect your act of generosity. Because the reality is, if we really believe, if we really did believe that God would resupply, I think we would be more generous. We, we struggle with this, especially if you are a brand new, you know, Christian, a brand new believer. Um, I really feel God is, is chipping away at me, so I would have greater generosity. I'm trying, I haven't arrived, I'm trying to cultivate a genuine, generous spirit. A few years ago, when I was still pastoring in Nova Scotia, our church had decided we were going to go into a building campaign. We were going to sell our property, 
and sell the building and, and, and relocate and, and build. And so the staff were challenged. And we said, well, listen, as pastors and as staff, we want to set the example. So we're going to ask you, the staff first, and then they ask the elders and deacons. They said, we want you to set the example. We want you to give above and beyond what you normally give. And, and I remember as I was wrestling through that, Lord, what should I give? I, I was trying to figure things out. And, and so I wrote this number on a piece of paper. It was the largest number I'd ever written. I was like, oh, But I sat there and I was like, okay, if I... If I cut back on that, and, you know, I, I take less of a vacation, and, and I do this, I think I can figure this out. Okay, great. So we have this building fund. We, the staff put their commitments together. Uh, after three years, it was like, we're done. And I was like, I, was like oh, I made it. But it was immediately after that, the church decided, you know what, let's go right back into another building campaign. I was like, what? I barely survived that one. And so I, I remember being a little stressed out about it, but I thought, you know what? I've done this before. I, I kind of have put a plan together. So I think maybe I can handle it again. But it was this part. You know when sometimes you sense God speaking to you? Like, it's not an audible voice, but you feel like he is pressing in on you, nudging you. And, and, and I remember... Um, there was this sense that God was saying to me, Donald, that's a great uh, plan that you had the last time. Yeah, to you it seemed really reasonable, and humanly you were able to figure it all out. He says, this time, what I'm going to ask you to do, he said, I want you to give 50% more than what you gave last time. And I'm like, what? I mean, Lord, I, I can take this trusting to, so far, but but Lord, you know there's a fine line between trust and foolishness, right? And that's what I was thinking. That's what goes through your mind. And then you know what goes through your mind? Hmm. I could buy a new car, though, right? I could tick off some of those things on my bucket list. Your mind really begins to wonder. I want you to know, for me, that was not an easy decision. It wasn't. I was like, I, sh I, I really stressed over that. But one of the things I've learned from experience, you cannot outgive God. You can't. I, I, I'm astounded. You just can't outgive God. And he always seems to resupply. It makes no sense on paper how things happen. And, and, I, and I don't mean, when I say God resupplies, I don't mean, oh, you give a dollar, the Lord will give you a dollar back, or the Lord's going to give you twice as much back. You know what? Sometimes he chooses to do that. That's great. But that's not always how he resupplies. You know, sometimes it's, you know, bills come in that seem just a little bit less than they, you thought they were going to be. Uh, sometimes your car needs less repair than that you're used to putting out on a car. Sometimes, this was for me, sometimes I think the way God resupplies is that he fills your heart with so much satisfaction with what you have that the desire for more is not as strong. When I was a youth pastor down in the States, you know, you're, you're just kind of out of seminary, you got school bills, and, and you're trying to pay off school bills, and you know, you're, I'm just kind of new, and, and, and the church made a decision, oh my goodness, I, it says, hey, we're going to do a special project, and we're asking the staff 
to set the example. It'd be a one-time offering. And I was like, I mean, I don't even have any money. I really didn't have any money. But one thing I didn't know, you're supposed to have this little emergency fund. You're supposed to have an emergency fund set aside for emergencies. Well, I knew this wasn't an emergency that, the, that was happening at the church. It, it's something they were thinking ahead of time. And so uh, they asked if we would just give above and beyond as staff. And, and for me, back then, as, as a new, you know, just fresh out of school, just, you know, getting a, a paycheck for the first time and and I remember God had said, uh, I know it doesn't even seem much, but I, I do remember God saying, you know, Donald, it's just a one-time offering. You, you, you actually have, um, have $1,000 in your emergency fund. And I was like, yes, and it's for emergencies. <laughs> and um, I struggled. I did. And um, I said, Okay. This does not make sense to me on paper. And it was just a one-time offering we were taking it for a particular project. So I got, I got rid of it. I'm like, you know, so you're hyperventilating. I have an emergency. What about the emergency? Guess what happens? A couple days later, my entire air-conditioned unit of the house blows up. Whoa, ho, Lord. Emergency fund. Maybe I need to go get it back. And uh, it, it happened just as I was getting ready to go home. Uh, back to Nova Scotia, I was flying on, on vacation. And um, I thought, oh my goodness, it's 100 degrees outside. I'm leaving on vacation. I'll try to have to figure this out when I get back. And I came back, and I walk in the house two weeks later, and it's really cool in the house. Whoa, what happened here? So I go back around the house, unbeknownst to me, to this day I still don't know, somebody came along, took out my old air conditioning, put a brand new one in there, and I never found it to this day who did it. And I thought to myself, hmm, God, you are faithful. It's true. When you trust God, I think it opens the door for supernatural things to happen. I'm still trying to learn the lesson from Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply or resupply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I, um, I heard a, a pastor give this illustration on the other side of the border. And uh, it's a story about two men. One is John And one is Sean. And John and Sean go to the same church, sing the same songs, read the same Bible, pray to the same God, listen to the same teaching week after week. And John comes to God and says, God, I want to have a conversation with you. This conversation is between you and me and nobody else. And, and John says, God, I have to go from A to B financially. I have mortgages to pay. I have, uh, I'm trying to put money aside for college education for my kids. I'm trying to prepare for um, retirement. I got bills to pay. And God, I've done the hard numbers. I've done the hard work. I, I put all the math together. Okay? And God, 
as far as what I see, for me to get to A to B financially, God, I'm going to need 100% of my money. Because there's actually no way that I can get from A to B unless I use 100% of my money. And so John just decides, you know, um, so I'm kind of out uh, when it comes to this, you know, generous thing right now. I'm out. Well, Sean, now remember, Sean reads the same Bible, prays to the same God, goes to the same church, hears the same teaching. Sean has the same conversation with God. God, I have to get from A to B. I got a mortgage to pay. I got a family to look after. I got children to feed. I'm trying to prepare for college education for them. I, I want to set some money aside for uh, retirement. Uh, and, and I've done the hard work. I, put, I crunched all my numbers. And it seems I need 100% to get from A to B. But God, it doesn't make sense. But God, I'm going to trust you that 90% of my money will get me A to B. And God, I'm going to trust you. Your word says it. I'm going to trust you that I would give 10% away to be generous. Now, God, I've done the hard math. I've crunched my numbers. And humanly speaking, this actually makes no sense at all. But what I promise is that every time I have some earnings, I'm, I'm just going to give 10% of it away. Now, this is how I think God would respond to somebody like a Sean. Hey, Sean, if you will trust me to get you from A to B on 90% of your income, and you'll honor and trust me with 10%, Tell you what, I'm going to take you to C. I'm going to take you to C. It's supernatural, blessed condition. I'm going to open the doors and provide for you what, humanly speaking, doesn't even make sense. That's my commitment to you. If you can trust me, Sean, really, to take you from A to B on 90%, then what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to have you have some, some great, amazing God stories of my provision that you're going to get an opportunity to tell your kids and your children that are so cool and so powerful and they're going to be true. Now remember, both of these, I've had those conversations with God. Both are going to the same church. Both are singing the same songs. Both are under the same teaching. And they've come to a different conclusion. Here's the thing with these two guys. Both John and Sean thinks the other one's the dummy. John says, Sean, come on. <laughs> you believe really that stuff that the Bible says? Like, you're, you, you're, you trust what God really says in that word? 
Uh, Sean, it seems like you've drunk, you drank all the Kool-Aid in that jug. <laughs> John, or Sean, go back and re-crunch the numbers. Because, dude, it doesn't make sense that 90% is going to get you from A to B. You won't be able to do it. Sean says to John, I feel sorry for you. Because you're going to try to do it all on your own. You're not going to invite God in. Be part of the equation. I feel bad for you, John, because you're never really going to be able to experience C. So, sorry, John, but I think you're the dumb one. Two different approaches, and both think the other is dumb. So here's my question. What kind of dummy do we want to be? Because we're going to be one or the other. There's only two choices. Now, some of you are here today, and you've, you've kind of sided with John, like, because humanly speaking, this is what makes sense. You've kind of made that decision, and, and that conversation between you and God is not between you and a, and a pastor or you and your church. It's, it's a conversation just between you and God. And this is not to make anyone feel guilty. I, that's the last thing I want to do. I just, I'm like Sean in the sense, I feel bad when people live here because really they don't get to experience see the supernatural provision of God. You know, um, these supernatural stories that you get to have, that you get to tell your kids and your grandchildren, you would not believe what God did. I thought it was impossible. I've got to tell you this story. Supernatural. You know, when the Israelites um, crossed over the Red Sea, God said, listen, I provided for you. You escaped from your enemies. You were going to be um, you're all going to be killed. He, he opens the Red Sea. They go across. Remember the story? And God, you know, puts the, the sea back. They go on dry land. He says, now build a monument here. And he tells me, he says, every time you walk by this monument, you tell your kids what God did. You know, you're walking along. You see the monument. You go, oh, John. Sarah, i got to tell you the story. I just saw that monument. It reminded me again what God did for us. Those opportunities to tell those incredible stories of how God provided. And I realize some of you have already had the same conversation that Sean's had. That you're going to trust God to get you from A to B on 90% of your earnings. And that you're going to trust God as you give 10%. I actually do believe God will take you to C. I want you to know I actually have no regrets. I have no regrets when I've had these conversations with God. I feel like I have lots of stories to tell. I, I might have told this one before, but I, I remember my grandfather, he, he loved to tell this story. And it always inspired me as a kid. He said um, when he retired, he, um, his, his income went like... 
It was, it was sliced. Like, it went way back. I think it went from, like, maybe he's making 65 or 68% of what he was originally making. So, obviously, he and my grandma had to make some adjustments to retirement life. And, um, and I remember this. I had the conversation uh, with my grandparents. I used to live with my grandparents in the summertime. And um, my grandmother says to my grandfather, Clifford, what was his name? Clifford, you do realize now that we're making a lot less money, we are going to have to give less, right? We're going to have to give less. And he's like, really? I never thought about that. My grandfather, this little, some, some people call it a little prophet's chamber, a little prayer room. It, just, it was just a little tiny room. And he'd go in there and he'd read his Bible and he'd pray and he'd pray. And he was in there for about two hours that particular day after he had had a conversation with my nana. And he came back out and he said uh, to my nana, he says, you know what? You're right. You're right. We can't give the same. We're going to have to increase it. Which you're like, whoa, you go back in there, you pray again. You obviously heard the wrong answer, right? And I remember my grandfather saying um, that particular year, he said to my grandmother, we're going to increase, um, it's just, this is his personal story. We're going to increase it by $2,000. And my grandmother's like, well, but does it even make sense though? Where, where's that going to come from? So my grandfather decides, you know what, I'm just going to buy a little, just a little, I think it was a 14-foot wooden boat. I'm just going to go out and fish. And I'm just going to sell my fish at the fish market. I'm like, okay, that's going to be a really good plan. Do you know what that year? Having fun, out fishing, he made $2,000 selling it to the fish market. And he used to love telling that story to me. He said, Donald, because that's a supernatural story of God. When there doesn't seem to be a way, God provides when you trust him. If you've never had that conversation with God, I'd encourage you. Take the time. This next week. You know, just grab your Bible. Maybe find a quiet place. And just have the conversation with God. God, where is it that I stand in this whole area of generosity? Because as a church, we're we're trying to learn how to be extravagant so we can help those that are around us. So the question I've been asking myself and the question I'll ask you, are we John or are we Sean? And then once we make that decision, why have I made that decision? And do I need to make a new decision? And I believe if you honestly come before God with your time, I, I believe the Spirit of God will speak to you. I, I believe he will. Well, let's, let's, let's get back to the story. So we have Elijah. He's in the room, okay? Uh, he, the dilemma is given to this uh, single mom. <laughs> What's she going to do? Well, we find out she actually does do it. She actually does go and gets the, the flour and the oil, and she makes uh, one last loaf of bread. And she takes it over to Elijah and gives it to Elijah, the stranger in the house, and she says, this is it. This is the last of everything that I have. Eat up. I hope you enjoy because there's nothing left. And then Elijah says to the lady, go back and check those jars again. You know what happens. We read it. We read it in the text. They were resupplied. 
She was astonished. So you can imagine her going and, and making another loaf of bread and, and taking it to her son. And then Elijah said, go back and check it again. And she goes back, and there's more, and, and she makes a loaf for herself. And then we discover that God kept those jugs and those jars with oil and with flour until the famine ended. The Bible says that God kept resupplying. She kept stepping out in faith, and God kept resupplying. And from this story, there is something about the promise of resupplying. It's like if we step out in faith, God will be true. And if we don't, I don't know if we ever get here. I don't know if we ever really get to experience. See, where God supernaturally provides. One thing that uh, I'm learning, I have to say it for myself, generosity exposes really the true condition of my heart. In fact, generosity exposes the true condition of our hearts. That's why as a church, we've, one of our values is generosity. We want to be able to respond extravagantly to the needs around us. You know, God has strategically placed us right where we are between Walmart and Lowe's where everybody knows who we are. He strategically placed us here and I believe got us here for a reason to continue to influence and impact a city who is, by the way, very far from God. 75,000 people live in our city. I think I heard recently someone said around 4,000, 5,000 go to church, which means 70,000 have no connection at all. I think one of the ways that we're going to be able to connect people to Jesus and to one another is this value of generosity. So let's learn together what it is to have even greater generosity. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are um, so grateful for our time this morning. And I know sometimes this is going to be a, a touchy subject. Sometimes it can be a difficult subject because it, it gets so personal. Sometimes it gets right in our face and it makes us uncomfortable. And God, that has not certainly been the desire of my heart today. But Lord, what we want to learn is how to actually trust you more. And God, we know that's not always easy. Sometimes it takes great steps of faith for something like that to happen. And so God, we invite you to speak into our lives when it comes to this whole area of generosity. And so God, I pray that we as a church would be characterized by extravagant generosity as we meet the needs that are all around us. God, I want to say first of all, thank you that you have actually already making us a generous church. We already have that as part of who we are. But Lord, I feel like at times you're calling us to even be greater in our generosity. So Lord, continue to do a work in all of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 